The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Good, y'all. Welcome to In the Deep, a deeply focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, happy new year. First of all, also, happy birthday. Belated, of course, but happy birthday. Hi, friends, and happy birthday to you, Jordan. Thank you. It's, uh, we're, we're, bo- we're both good, good Capricorn birthday boys. Do you want? Do you want? Yeah, we are. Do you? Do you want to tell the uh, folks what I got you for your birthday? A, ver- a very mean message on on Discord. <laughs> there was there was that. Yes, that was one of the things that I got you. But I also just gave you a gift, which is I allowed you to railroad and restart the podcast so you could remember to say hi, friends. You've been slipping in the off season. This is why we need like a spring training for podcasting too. It's unreal. I'm I'm out of practice. I'm rusty. This is it's terrible. I just yeah. wasted roughly like 120 seconds of both of our time and we'll Terrible. never get that back. Terrible. Hate this. I mean, I've wasted enough seconds with you at this point that that is just like that. That's that's nothing. That's zero. There's, there is no one I'd rather waste time with. Don't tell my wife. I'm going to tell Christine. I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna send her an Instagram message right now. I'm going to do I it. Mean, I she, swear. She, she is probably doom scrolling right now, so she will see it and probably interrupt us. See, that's perfect because I really want to like I want to see just like you sitting there talking about, I don't know, uh, spoiler, Justin Steele. And then I just want to see Christine's head pop in from behind, just giving you the absolute death glare and demanding an explanation as to why you said such a thing. I do think deep down she kind of gets it, though. Eh, She calls you my baseball wife. She gets it. We are sister wives after all. That is true. But. Yes, yeah, so uh, we will, uh, in a couple weeks also, though, be back to doing weekly episodes once uh, February rolls around. And for that first episode in our run of weekly episodes, we do have a very special guest that we'll be bringing on for episode 69. So uh, keep an eye out for that, for sure. But, uh, Shrebzy, we didn't really have an, a good idea of what we were going to talk about this week. Until off-season pro- baby off-season baby uh until probably about what like three hours ago something like that i would i would say that we never had a good idea we just got an idea at some point i think that very rarely we just like stumble uh we go rumbling bumbling stumbling uh, into whatever we end up talking about on any given episode uh 
But I will say something that I was very thankful for is that uh, my colleagues at PitcherList did send in my Weighted Earn Strikes article to uh, be considered as a nominee for uh, FSWA awards, which I appreciate a lot. And I actually just updated that article. So now it has the full 2022 season numbers on it, a full leaderboard with pretty much every starting pitcher that threw more than, I think it's 1,200 pitches on there uh, for everyone to peruse and take a look at. And it's a good thing that they did that because even with my nagging you, you won't submit your own work, no matter how good it is. I don't... I. I, I have terrible imposter syndrome that I struggle to overcome, which is like, it's a miracle that I do this podcast as much as I do, considering. I, I can't believe, like, being near me all of this time doesn't, like, make you, give you a better, you know, self-image. I feel like we're all just kind of, like, faking it until we make it a little bit, you know? Like, I, again, like, and that's the thing, too. It's it's the idea. We I mean, Nick Nicholas Peter Pollock, uh, overlord of Pitcherlist, uh, said this himself. We're not in the business of being right. <laughs> uh it's like we're in the business of like trying to like have the best process that we can right uh so for me it's like i'm just i'm just i'm just here throwing spaghetti at the wall hoping something sticks look i'm faking it you're a future fswa winner god i i don't know what i would do i i think i would implode on myself if if that actually happened uh i don't know what i would do with my hands but we'll see how things go but yes anyways wash them ideally Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> God, I hate you so much. <laughs> uh but uh anyway, so Waiter and Strikes article got updated this past week, like two days ago, I think, uh, with a full leaderboard. So I put that back out. I tweeted it out again. You can probably find it on my uh on my Twitter account. It's probably near near that. I th- actually I think I pinned it now that I think about it. But um essentially Waiter and Strikes, for those that don't know what it is, it's a improved version of CSW that essentially accounts for what count the strike was earned in it's basically what it comes down to because when you're in a 3-0 count it's much easier to sneak a fastball by a hitter than it is going to be in like an 0-2 count right so why is it improved what what is better about it comparatively the weights that are applied to it essentially uh show like the value of a strike in that given count because obviously in two strike counts if you get a strike in that count if you earn a strike whether it's a swinging strike called strike no, it doesn't matter what it is that leads to a strikeout also they're harder to earn just statistically speaking so like if i go here let me p- quick pull up the art i should have had this up already well my quote what does it what does it correlate with better than normal csw pretty much everything so it correlates better with k rate it correlates better with sierra uh um and sierra for the uninitiated is an era estimator that is generally viewed as as, as pretty accurate yeah, so it's ba- basically it is both more descriptive, which means that it describes like player performance better and it also is more predictive. So if you see an increase in weighted and strike rate, it correlates better than CSW does, which co- CSW already great. Um, but weighted and strike rate will correlate more with uh, an improvement in ERA or it'll correlate more with these ERA predictors uh, than CSW will. So. Um, but essentially I just updated that article. I have the full leaderboard on the bottom. And if you look at the featured image for that article, there was some guys that I put on there cause I did, I released this in June of last year. So it was like fairly early in the season and there was enough of a sample size where people qualified and like reached the stabilization point, which was 570 pitches thrown. 
uh, as opposed to CSW, takes about 700 pitches to stabilize. So it also stabilizes faster, which is why it's a little bit more useful too. Um, the three guys that I picked were Kyle Wright, Nestor Cortez, and Eric Lauer. So Eric Lauer didn't finish as strong as the other two, finished like 85th in Razball's end-of-season uh, starting pitcher ranks. But between Nestor Cortez and Kyle Wright, so Nestor Cortez, uh, ADP was 347 last year. He finishes the 21st starting pitcher in baseball for fantasy purposes. And then Kyle Wright was at 591 in preseason ADP, and he finishes the 17th starting pitcher. So this was able to identify early in the season that these two breakouts were honestly like pretty legit. Um, and I think that's where weighted and strike weight is going to prove most valuable moving forward is we can employ it early in the season to kind of identify people who have made strides, taken steps, and are seeing a large amount of improvement. And that can be a way to identify trade targets, um, which is kind of what I'm going to use it for. Speaking of strides, Spencer Strider, fantastic. Oh, yeah, he's like... It weighted earned strikes. Uh, what is he on the list? He's probably like seventh or something like that. No, he's fifth. Yeah, he's fifth. So he's ahead of like Corbin Burns, Shohei Otani, Carlos Rodon, Brandon Woodruff. Like Strider's legit. Like that, that's a legit breakout. Um, also got my boy Aaron Ashby up top there uh, at number eight, just a couple spots behind uh, Strider. So... And I think that's reflected in his ADP this year. I think people are expecting Aaron Ashby to take a step forward and get a little bit more lucky in terms of batted ball luck. But anyways, um, so with that in mind, I took a look at 2022's weighted earned strike rate leaderboard, and there was a few names that really popped out to me as folks that aren't like going super high in terms of uh, ADP right now that I think are maybe worth taking a longer look at. Um, so this first one that I want to take a look at is JT Brubaker. So uh, Brubaker put up a 29.15 weighted earned strike rate. That puts him at 27th on the qualified list. Um, that puts him right in line with names like Lucas Giolito, Freddie Peralta, and also last year's breakout Kyle Wright. Um, for Brubaker, the K potential has kind of been there for a while. I think people have seen it. Um, for him, I think the, it's just a matter of harnessing that ability a bit more and then limiting the walk rates after giving up the highest walk rate of his career. Uh, I think the biggest downside with Brubaker, uh, and this is something that's pretty apparent, uh, folks that have watched him and folks that have paid attention to him is that his fastballs are just not good. He's got an excellent slider. The curveball is serviceable. I would say borderline good just gives up a little bit too much hard contact with it, but the fastballs are just not very good they get hit hard a lot uh give up a high average that said his adp right now is 629 in draft champions like that is super 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 late like i can't even think of off the top of my head what round that would be would that be around like in a 15 teamer that's round 32 i don't know yeah quite late quite late um so it's not something that i'm necessarily trying to draft right away but this is also someone that because he ranks so highly on this list I do want to keep an eye on him for through his first like three to four starts. And if it seems like there is an improvement, even if he doesn't quite reach that stabilization point of 570 pitches, obviously he'll be closer to like 300 to 350. Um, if there seems to be an improvement in the weighted earned strike rate realm and also the walk rates seem to come down a little bit. I think he would be worth taking a flyer on at that point. Uh, so Brubaker is someone that I will keep an eye on early in the season. I won't be drafting him probably unless it's like an incredibly, incredibly like deep draft and hold. 
but that's kind of where I'm at with him. And for what it's worth, like Brubaker last year, he was a perfectly fine streamer. Like he got lit up by teams that should light mediocre pitchers up. Like he got lit up by Philadelphia, the Mets, Atlanta. Otherwise, he was he like basically never gave up more than three runs in this in the uh, starting in like June. You know, he he was good, but you know, maybe just not good enough to take on the absolute top teams. And maybe that's what this is telling us. It's that, you know, we can deploy him, you know, freely as long as we uh, pay attention to the matchups. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I do. Yeah. As a streamer, he's probably going to be excellent uh, in spots next year. I think he was last year too, like you said uh, and pointed out, but um, I would say probably... Yeah, at, at, at a 629 ADP, not particularly interested in him. And again, I would like to see, I think the other big change I would like to see is I would like to see him throw his slider and curveball more um, and lean away from those fastballs a bit. Um, they're just not good pitches. It's so painful to watch him throw a fastball. It's, oh God, yeah, he doesn't elevate it enough for it to be effective either. Um, maybe just elevating it more would make it better, but yeah. Um, it's a shame he's not better because Coffee Cakes is a fantastic nickname and it, should catch on. Shout out Nick Pollock. That is one of the better nicknames that he has given a, a player. I do like that one quite a bit. I appreciate that one. Okay, so I am going to talk about some other players uh, that I think are really interesting in terms of waiter and strike rate that I want to keep an eye on early in the season or might be targeting. But Schwebzy also for this episode wanted to do a little exercise where he picked 10 pitchers and did brief synopses synopses synopsis synopsis yeah uh synopsises synopsises uh on each of them uh for his top 10 pitchers post 250 in current adp so uh i kind of teased one of them early on in the episode and spoiled it but schwebzy what do you want to talk about with justin Steele? i do i i i feel like this is like the uh the free square in the middle of the bingo board because everyone is all over Justin Steele this offseason. But the the planning session for this episode overall was so chaotic. It was like you were in your corner doing my thing. I was in my corner doing my thing. And now we're just smashing it together haphazardly to, to make an episode. It's good stuff. Dr. Frankenstein's plural, the two of us. But it's all, I mean, to be fair, it's all pitchers. So at least we had that yes. cohesion. So yes. that's good, but... This this is this is going to be uh probably our most pitcher focused episode of the off season until we get to the uh actual starting pitcher preview close oh, yeah. to the season. But yeah, so what what I'm doing is I'm these are my ten favorite targets post two fifty. Now a lot of them are concentrated in like the two fifty to three fifty range because the, you know that's where the best pitchers and after two fifty are generally going to be. Yep. But uh, there are some deeper cuts here. So we're we're starting with Justin Steele, who, like I said, he he's like he's like the pitcher Lars Nupar almost right now. It feels like every analyst is is on Justin Steele right now. And it's mainly due to his absurd slider. His slider allowed a 155x average. It just it no one hits it. He throws it at will against lefties and righties. I actually wonder if there's room for him to throw it more because he's got a, I, I would say a league average fastball, like maybe, okay. maybe, maybe a shade above league average, but he throws it 57% of the time. Like he 
probably could throw up his slider to like 35, 40%. He's currently throwing at about 30. I, I, I wonder if, if that would be too much, but it's just, it's such an incredible pitch. You know, a, a lot of sliders have a lot of horizontal movement or a lot of vertical movement. He's got both. He's got the 15th most horizontal movement and the 14th most vertical movement on his slider. It's just a silly pitch. And it gives him a fantastic base to work from because in, in spite of it moving so much, he's still, you know, he gets it in the zone, not at a league average rate, but close enough. And, you know, he, he gets a higher than league average swinging strike rate on it. It's just, you know, it, 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 and it just never gets hit hard. So I'm, I'm big on steel. He's probably my favorite post 250 target. He's around 293 right now and a little higher up on the uh, ADP board is Tyler Molly. Tyler Molly, we were waiting for him to move from Cincinnati. We, I, I feel like everyone was just like, oh yeah, he's good, just start him on the road. Well, he got traded to Minnesota. Yep. And then he was terrible. In Cincinnati, he, was, he had a 4-4 ERA and... Molly had really good peripherals to go with that 4-4 ERA. And then in and then in Minnesota, he also had a 4-4, uh, sorry, a 4-4-1 ERA and he had terrible peripherals to go mm. with it. Makes no sense. But it was also 16 innings and he very quickly got hurt for Minnesota. The uh the hope is that he can kind of return to himself and finally be be the Tyler Molly that was promised outside of Cincinnati. And kind of, you know, finally put together the year that we've all been hoping for since he, uh, since he figured out his repertoire. And if he can do that, he's an incredible value at 278 because not a lot of pitchers after 250 will get you both strikeouts and decent ratios. And he's capable of giving you both. Yeah, how many starts did he actually get for? Oh, I think it was four. It was only like 16 innings. He did. He did not make it very far. Like I almost want to completely just write off his Minnesota time. It was, uh, yeah. yeah, it was four innings, four four games, sixteen innings. Yeah, I mean his, I mean his fastball is just so good, man. Yes, like his fastball is incredible. Like that, it's it's the exact, I'd say, opposite as I was talking about with JT Brubaker, where like Brubaker's secondaries are the star of the show. Uh, and then the fastballs are absolutely just, just terrible. Um, Molly's fastball is insane. And I feel like he's very reliant on whether or not the splitter is working on any given start to, and that's kind of like the, 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 the pivot point of whether he's going to be dominant or not. Um, I do like that he added the, I do like that he added the cutter. I will say that he did not have the cutter a few years ago. He added the cutter. I do like the fact that he has that pitch in his repertoire now. Um, but man, like in theory, his approach outside of Cincinnati and with the deadened ball should work. Yes, correct. He, he, he works with that fastball up in the zone so frequently. Like it, it's, it should be an approach that works in, in this, you know, current environment. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing too, is like he added the cutter and that, I mean, by at least by CSW, that is his second best pitch. So, the uh, the next player that I want to talk about is Zach Eflin. 
Now, Zach Eflin, <laughs> I, I think I've just been conditioned to trust the Rays. <laughs> like, I, I just trust them implicitly. It, they signed Eflin to the biggest contract in franchise history. And, you know, it's the Rays, so yeah. that's not a particularly big contract. But it's still, it, it speaks about their confidence in him. Like, he was at the point in Philly where he, he started being a reliever sometimes. And he has a better repertoire than that. He has a starter's repertoire. Like, it can seem like his uh, success all hinges on the, uh, like, the curveball. But he's actually, he's got a good sinker. He's got enough to succeed in a starter role. And honestly, like going from the Philadelphia coaching staff to the Tampa Bay coaching staff is like the coaching equivalent of upgrading from Spirit Airlines to Air Force One. <laughs> it's just, I, I just can't wait to see what he can do outside of Philly. It's a great ballpark upgrade also. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think environment-wise, it's going to be great for him. Um, I... I wouldn't say, okay, so for me, I know you phrase it like you've learned to trust the Rays. For me, it's more of a I've learned to not bet against the Rays. I think is yeah. how I'd describe it. Um, we, we've seen them very, very, very savvily. I don't know if that's a word. They're, they're very savvy in acquiring certain players from other teams that seem like kind of like spare parts and have turned into great players. I think, obviously, very specifically, are like Randy Rosarena, who had mm-hmm. been just sitting on the bench and not getting any playing time for the Cardinals and the Rays got him and he's been a star for them now. Um, Yandy Diaz. Yandy Diaz, someone who like, I mean, perpetual breakout candidate with how hard he hits the ball. Um, I want the Brewers to trade for Yandy Diaz kind of <laughs> for what it's worth, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, but like they just do such a good job getting every single bit of juice they can out of every single one of those, uh, juicy, juicy Florida oranges <laughs> that are their players. I one of the things that I've kind of been harping on this off season, and I I want to take into drafts and and like pay attention to more. Like there are teams that just consistently get more out of their pitchers, like your Cleveland Guardians, your Dodgers, your Rays, and and you know this is a spoiler for some of the pitchers I'm going to talk about today. I, I think Brent Strom in Arizona might be one of those pitching coaches that can get more out of his pitchers. You know, just looking at oh oh god, why well, I'm I'm blanking on the names. The the journeyman starter that was awesome for the Diamondbacks last year. Merrill Kelly. Merrill Kelly, that's it. I'm, I I don't know there why I was go. blanking, but it wasn't just him. I know there was uh, there were other pitchers on the Diamondbacks that were awesome last year. I'm pulling up roster resource so I can stop fumbling around. I mean, he, he got Zach Gallon doing Zach Gallon things, which is great, yeah. of course. And we got great debuts from Ryan Nelson and Dre Jameson. So I'm, I'm excited to see what we get out of Arizona and those other teams. And I'm probably going to bump those pitchers a little bit up my boards. And that includes Zach Eflin. He's at 365. I, I would take him comfortably before that and comfortably before a lot of the guys in the 250 to 300 range. Yeah, it seems very strange that he's still at like 365 after signing that contract. So and- this is the whole offseason that this ADP is. Okay, so that's fair. His ADP might be higher in, in like the last month. I'm actually going to check that now. 
That's probably a good point. We should have probably set the parameters a little bit more recently, <laughs> but it's fine. We are thorough. We are thorough. Um, but yes, do you know what he was? In the past, like, I don't know, what a, like month, two weeks? All right, let, let's see. Sorry, for, sorry for the click clacks. This is like Eflin, the, this is the highest quality podcast Ef, content. Eflin has since the start of December. Eflin is at three oh five compared to the three sixty five for the whole. Okay, so he's taking a jump. He's still not he that high. I mean, he's still post three hundred though. Like that's. I would still take him higher than this. Where, you know, where, like where would you feel comfortable? Where do you think like like just gut feeling? It doesn't have to be so. Exact. Right now, he is behind guys like Kopech. Uh, Robonsi Contreras, Ranger okay. Suarez, Eric Lauer. I would take him ahead of all of those guys. I mean, honestly, probably fair. Um, I want to see he's, where he's, he's right at. next to Taiwan Walker. I'm much more comfortable with Eflin than Walker. Yeah, Eflin, not in like a super crazy good spot in terms of like weighted and strike rate, but like, I mean, he's never been like a huge K guy per se. So, and that's like more of what waiter and strike rate is good for is finding like high upside strikeout guys. Um, but if the Rays see something in Zach Eflin and are willing to pay him that much money, I am absolutely going to be willing to reach a little bit for him and take him ahead of guys. Like, I mean, I, I would also take him ahead of all of guys that you just said. Yeah. Like the, his approach this year, like he doubled his curveball usage from previous years. Like he threw it like 13% of the time in 2020, 11% in 21, and 20% in 2022. Like, that's a significant increase. So yeah. I, maybe they, maybe that's what the Rays are into. They saw that curveball, and they want to see more of it. I dig it. All right. Uh, okay, so we're going to break this up episode up a little bit. So we're going to talk about Chubsy's players for a little bit, and then I'm going to go back and do another weighted earn strike rate guy. Uh, before we do that, though, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this ad. All right, and we're back. So... Next guy that I want to talk about here is uh, someone, I think this is probably my favorite player that popped out to me with the uh, weighted earned strike rate leaderboard. And I don't know, Schwebzy, our, our good buddy Mikey Ahedo actually wrote an article about this player last year during the season, back in like, I believe it was August. It was on Baseball Prospectus. If people want to read it, I will link it in the show notes uh, when we do put this episode up. But I'm talking about Braxton Garrett. He was 16th amongst qualified starters in weighted and strike rate. Like he's up with people like Jeffrey Springs, who's also like one of my favorite players that I'm going to try to aim for this year. Above Joe Musgrove, Nick Lodolo, Kevin Gaussman, um, just below Charlie Morton. Like he was really, really good. Like he's among some pretty elite company, honestly. Um, and honestly, like Mikey being excited about him makes me excited about him. And looking further, it makes sense why all of us kind of like him. Um, he has a, a like some track record of striking out a decent amount of people in the minor leagues. And that skill finally started translating in his third cup of coffee. This past year, he put up a 9.2 K per nine over 88 innings. So that's a sizable sample that we have to look at there. Um, I think the reason for that is uh, it's twofold. So he fixed the thing that plagued him most in his first two cups of coffee, which was he walked so many people. He had a 5.87 and 5.29 base on ball per nine rate in his first two major league stints. And this in this 88 inning sample, he dropped that all the way down to 2.45 per nine, uh, which is really honestly like that's right around league average or just below, I think. Um, secondly, 
He also became a slider first pitcher in this iteration of his major league career. So the pitch handily qualified as a money pitch. It's a really, really, really good slider. Um, and he complemented that with a really solid sinker that gets strikes and induces a, a bunch of ground ball contact. So he has a really firm foundation between those two pitches, I think, to build off of and find success. I do think he needs to find a third pitch uh, to make sure that he actually can take that next step and become an even better pitcher. Um, but to throw a little bit of cold water on this, for those that are paying attention, the Marlins have, th- I think, like what, like eight major league quality starting pitchers currently between like so, yeah, what's in their current rotation and in like like projected to be starting in triple a according to roster resource um there's going to need to be some movement of some kind for braxton garrett to be able to find success um and get the innings that he needs to like produce and provide value for your fantasy teams um Kimming has made it clear that they're not done molding their roster yet. So that's at least encouraging in that regard. There's been more about Pablo Lopez maybe being dealt. There's, I mean, there's rumors flying around about a lot of folks on that pitching staff being available for trade. Um, it's like every non Sandy Alcantara name. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for me, I think that between all of the pitchers that I will have talked about today, like I like JT Brubaker for reasons, not someone that I want to draft. Uh, there's going to be someone else that I talk about later, Philly's pitcher, not someone that I'm probably going to draft. I'm honestly, even without any certainty at this point, I think the upside is higher with Braxton Garrett than it is with the other two pitchers that I'm going to talk about, that it's worth spending a draft pick late in a draft just to take a flyer on him like with your last couple of round picks. And if he ends up buried in AAA because there's too many people ahead of him, then you know what, you can set, you can send him the waiver wire, it's fine. Um, but I think he has the highest upside of anyone that I'm going to talk about today, and I think I would take the flyer on him. His current ADP is at like 5.06. Yeah, and not for nothing, Edward Cabrera is always hurt. Jesus Lazardo is always hurt. Pablo Lopez, always hurt. Johnny Cueto, 37 years old. Uh, Sixto Sanchez, I, I'm not sure if he's, is he a myth? Is, is he a cryptid? Like, did we dream him? Maybe. <laughs> like, I the last thing I remember about Sixto Sanchez is they showed a video of his like recovery process, and he was throwing about as hard as I do, and that is not hard, folks. I'm I'm sure he's in a better spot than that now, but yeah, yeah. I'm not banking on Sixto being a roadblock to anybody right now. Yeah. The exactly. the, the point the point of all this is that there's going to be an opportunity for Braxton Garrett at some point this year. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I I hope he gets extended run. Like, obviously, after throwing 88 innings last year, and then I think he had, like, 123-ish innings between the majors and AAA last year. Um, it would surprise me if he doesn't get extended run at some point. Uh, otherwise, I don't really understand the point of hanging on to him and keeping me in that system. Um, so, who knows? I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, a trade could mean that other people are moving and he gets moved into the rotation or he gets moved to another team that is in need of a major league quality starting pitcher. So, um, again, I'm willing to take that gamble at this point and see if it works out. But, yeah, I think that Braxton Garrett, if offered a long enough leash, might be poised to take a pretty big step forward this year. So... Do you like that? All right, so we're going to go to Schwebzy, uh, three more of Schwebzy's pitchers that he wanted to talk about in his top 10 of the post-250. 
starting pitchers. So Schwebzy, let's uh, talk about someone that I actually had. I had a surprising number of shares of last year, and that's Tyler Anderson. I think by, by the end of today, we're going to have seen how much you've rubbed off on me. I don't know if that's a good <laughs> or a bad thing. Uh, I'm into Tyler Anderson in this context of, yeah. you know, com- compared to compared to a lot of other names in this range. Like he's be he's being drafted near like Jamison Tyone. I like Tyler Anderson significantly more than Tyone. So t- like. Tyler Anderson is going to be a really interesting test case or, or a fun test case of Dodgers pitchers who have career years and then go elsewhere. We've got a really mixed bag with like Hyunjin Ryu, Kenta Maeda, uh, Stripling, Alex Wood, Zach Granke. And, you know, before you think that's weird, Zach Granke had a 1.66 ERA with the Dodgers and then was like never below 2.9 again. So like it, the Dodgers do this. They, they, acquire pitchers those pitchers have career years and then those pitchers are you know up and down after they leave he was incredible last year anderson was incredible last year if you look at every leaderboard like he's one of those guys that sticks out of like really him him? but yeah he's 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 how how did how did he do in a weighted earned strikes i think he was at like 27 he was not like he was not that high up the list i can look at it real quick right now let me find it um I know I, I have was at one point. Uh, Anderson. Tyler Anderson was 69. He was 69th on the list with 27.17. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, so, the question is what, is what does that mean for his future? I don't love that he's with the Angels. The Angels are not notable for really developing pitchers, but they should have a decent. Uh, you. What what do you think? Uh, what do you think of the defense befi- behind him? How important is that going to be? Hugely, and I think he's going to. That's like the biggest reason why I think he's going to take a step back, and why like at his ADP right now, I think he's like pretty fairly priced. Um, that I think that's the biggest thing is like the the Dodgers defense is incredible, right? Uh, I think mm-hmm. the combination of that plus the fact that there is the shift ban is going to have an adverse effect, not just on like, it's it's not just going to be Tyler Anderson. It's going to be all pitchers. Like batting averages are going to go up. ERAs are going to go up. I don't think, because we had like three people last year with a sub 2.2 ERAs or something like that. And yeah, I don't think anyone's going to touch that this year. He's, Maybe he's coming come. off a, he's coming off a 256 BABIP, which is yeah. much lower than his career numbers, much lower than you would expect for, you know, your average pitcher. Yeah. Only struck out 6.95 per nine last year. So that that is, you know, not ideal in today's day and age. But, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see if he can replicate his success because other like other than the strikeouts, like everything else was pristine. Like he didn't walk anybody. He didn't give up any home runs. But uh, I I feel like every other pitcher I look into these days, I look at their home rate and I home run rate and I go, wow, that's an outlier. But that might just be the new norm. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that Tyler Anderson is very good at is suppressing contact. Like he and also like last year, I think that might have been the lowest walk rate of his career. If I'm not uh, mistaken. It was. It was. Yeah. Uh I did I, I I feel like I looked at him a bunch of times this offseason. Um, but because I'm curious, was he gonna be able to repeat it? And then he I cause I, I was really hoping that he'd re-sign with the Dodgers and just continue to dominate. But um It actually wasn't that much different than the walk rate he put up with uh Seattle. True. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing. I mean, 
he's he's going to limit contact. He's not going to give up free passes. But like you said, I don't think that two fifty six BABIP or whatever it was. It was two fifty six. I think you said. Yes. Um, I don't think that's sustainable, especially with the shift being banned. Again, it's going to hurt everyone. It's not just going to hurt him, but I think it's going to hurt him, especially considering he's now playing on a team with a a lesser defense. So I do think that he's appropriately priced at 264, though, after the year that he had last year. So I think I'm happy to take him there, um, but I'm not yeah, reaching. I mean, he, he does he does have some of those intangibles. Like he's a lefty with a herky-jerky delivery. He's got a change-up heavy approach. He's like, he throws about as many change-ups as four-seamers, so you never really can sit on anything. So, I mean, he's, he's, his three primary pitches, uh, they all have uh, an expected average below 240. Pretty good. So you're right. Nothing's getting hit hard. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I, I will say, as, like, as far as, like, lefties with a herky-jerky delivery, I've already been hurt once by Alex Wood. <laughs> so I'm a little bit hesitant. I'm a little bit gun shy at this point, but I do appreciate some Tyler Anderson love to a certain extent because he was awesome for me last year too. So, uh, but yeah, you you were talking about before that there were some Diamondbacks pitchers that you really liked. You mentioned uh, who's the pitching coach? Brent Strom. Brent Strom. Thank you. Formerly uh, of Houston. Yes, being able to develop pitchers. Uh, so we're going to talk about one here, Dre Jameson. Yeah. I, I like Dre Jameson a lot. He's probably my favorite rookie pitcher in the non Grayson Rodriguez category. Okay. I, I'm I'm but the difference between Dre Jameson and Grayson Rodriguez is we are pretty I, I'm pretty confident that Dre Jameson is going to be a starter from opening day. He's not currently listed on roster resource as one of the rotation guys, but Ryan Nelson is, and I think Dre Jameson is better than Ryan Nelson. So we'll we'll have to see how that shakes out. So the thing about Dre Jameson, the, the 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 good thing about Dre Jameson is he has a fantastic slider. He's he's I, I feel like we talk about this like archetype of guy all the time where like he's got a great slider, fastball's mediocre. Dre Jameson's fastball is kind of mediocre, but it's got great velo. So it's one of those things where like if he locates it well, it's going to play well. So He's he is a young guy, so the hope here is that between his four seamer and he he has a decent sinker and decent ground ball rates as well. So the hope is between the fastball sinker and slider, and you know being coached well, that he can put together a pitch mix that works. He's being he was being drafted at three twenty for the entire off season. I'm trying to see what he's at right now. He's at 326 now, so he's actually being drafted even uh, slightly later. So yeah, I'm I'm all over this at this price. Uh, the the guys in this range are like Eduardo Rodriguez, Mike Clevenger, guys who you know are kind of on the on the wrong side of their career. Uh, Adam Wainwright is in this range too. So I'm I'm very much you know if you're going for an upside play instead of a, a veteran, I I love Dre Jameson here. It's also worth noting that, like, I just looked up quick. Ryan Nelson too is also ADP of four ninety two, so it's very clear that just like the community in general is also not on Ryan Nelson making that rotation, and Dre Jameson being the one that makes that. I assume he's in the fifth starting pitcher spot. Uh, I think he was fourth, but fourth, I, you know, tomato, okay. tomato. Got it. Yeah, but I yeah, I highly doubt that 
we don't see Dre Jameson making starts for the Diamondbacks uh, pretty much from the get-go this year. Um, oh, also, Ryan I will Nelson, say... Oh, sorry, Ryan Nelson sorry. is fifth with Zach Davies as fourth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zach Davies and Madison Bumgarner are the three and four starters in Arizona, which should not last the whole season. That's crazy. It's crazy to think about, but... Yeah, I mean, I will say I really have not done any like this is this is a full transparency moment. I I do not have the capacity to look at every single person at this point in the offseason. I've looked I've not looked at Dre Jameson's player page on PitcherList, any other site at all. I I have very I very literally no clue um, (laughs) what he is about. I don't know what his pitch mix is until Schwabzi talked about it. I will say, though, because I have not looked at him at all and have not perceived any of his stuff, I just expect him to be an absolute monster <laughs> just because of that, knowing my luck. Um, but yeah. All right, Chubbsy, you got so, another one here. Well, I, I think the, the, the bullet points for Dre Jameson of why he should be, you know, why, why he's a solid sleeper. Yeah. Fantastic slider. Well above average ground ball rates. He's at 56%. In, in his small sample where well the league is at 44 percent that's a yeah. significant significantly yes. higher than league average ground ball rate massive and on top of having a good ground ball rate has a higher than league average swinging strike rate getting swings and misses and ground balls is just a fantastic combination love it i can all right uh so this is actually so this next person that you're going to talk about actually has a similar profile and they're like really really close in adp as well yes brian bayo of the uh the boston red Sox. Sox. he's socks i can't not say socks. that i just have it's the socks like it, it, it and it you know what i love typing it out that way too because it's just such a quick differentiator it's not oh, the, sure. the red Sox sox it's the s-a-w-x yes everyone knows uh, everyone gets it immediately so Bayo has grown on me the more I've looked at him. I'm I'm pretty in at this point. Like you, you can if you look at the surface stats, you might wonder why. Because he started his major league career getting absolutely lit up in three consecutive starts against Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, and Toronto, which is really not a, a fun starting point to a major league career. Those are those are some tough offenses. Uh, the Tampa Bay grinds it out, and Toronto can hit the ball a mile. But after those, he settled down. And for the rest of the season, he put up a 3.18 ERA and a 2.69 FIP. He walks too many batters. That, that is probably going to be his biggest bugaboo going forward. The, there's no denying that the control is a little bit iffy, but the stuff is fantastic. And while there are going to be some growing pains, he's another guy that gets a ton of ground balls. And he has a huge swing and miss. Oh, God, I did it. <laughs> I wasn't huge... going to say anything. <laughs> huge. It's huge. Uh, he, he he's got the biggest. Huge... He's got the biggest. You know, he's got the biggest. He's got, I'm he's got sorry, the biggest I'm swinging from, strike rates. I'm from New York. What do you want from me? Uh, he's, got, he's got a huge swing and miss changeup. And the, the profile has me intrigued. I'm talking with my hands now as if to, to hammer home the, the, the point. Uh, if there's, a, you know, audio medium, visual stuff. <laughs> if there's any slider development at all here, he could wind up being like a truly nasty pitcher, like a number two. Yeah, I mean, the upside is there for him, for sure. Um, the biggest concern for me, it's, it's also the concern that I had with another Boston pitcher that I really, really like. Um, 
that's Tanner Houck. The walk rate was also there for him as well. And that was more, it's, it's the same. I I feel like I have a type. It's between like Houck, super nasty arsenal, walks a bunch of people. Aaron Ashby, super nasty arsenal, walks a bunch of people. I probably like if, if I take a long look at Brian Bayo, I will absolutely fall in love with him. Man, I was organizing my baseball cards the other day and I got to the Boston Red Sox section and just thumbing through the the Hauk autos and the the Bobby Dalbeck cards. Oh, it was man. it was so so sad. A trip through memory lane. Hey, you know what? Wasn't it fun though? There was a there was a moment there where Bobby Dalbeck was coming off of his monster like September. Yep. Like get, getting one of his autographs was pricey. Yeah, man crazy that was the time that was the time to jump ship we still love our boy though we love our boys all right uh i went down with that ship oh god yeah we did um (laughs) (laughs) all right let's take one more quick break here take another ad break and we'll be right back i'll tell y'all about my last pitcher that i really like uh from the waiter and strike great leaderboard and then shrubsy will finish off his top 10 all right we are back so i want to talk about my last picture here and that is going to be bailey falter um, this one's going to be kind of short just because it's like, there's a lot of similar stuff as I talked about with JT Brubaker, um, falters fastballs, not super duper great. The sinker was actually very good this year. I will say, um, the four seam absolutely was not. And he threw that one way more. Um, he had a 29.06% weighted earned strike rate in 2022 he fills up the strike zone like he throws a ton of strikes, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, and he pairs that with two really solid breakers in his curveball, which had a 36.7% CSW and a slot and the slider, which was a certifiable money pitch. Um, unfortunately, the quality of contact metrics don't really play in his favor as uh, Falter slider had a 302 batting average allowed despite its underlying dominance. He also gave up a ton of solid contact and a fair share of home runs. He had a 14.4% home run to fly ball ratio, which is like not super high above league average, but it is above league average. Um, I think that the one small bright spot for Falter is that he did find a more effective way to deploy his fastballs. He threw his sinkers to the arm side on, in on lefties and then the four-seamer to the glove side, which is in on righties. Um, and you see examples of this looking at his heat map on the uh, pitcherless player pages. Um, I think I put him much in the same boat as Brubaker, where he's more of a wait and see type. I'm probably not going to be drafting Bailey Falter in any leagues this year. Um, the other upside that he has in comparison to Brubaker is that he just doesn't have the walk issue. He's got like a sub 5% walk rate. He's great at just pounding the zone with his pitches. Um I really hope that he does much the same as what Braxton Garrett did, and he leans further into the breakers moving forward because the peripheral data on them look fantastic. Um, Though, that said, it may prove difficult if he's facing lineups full of right-handed hitters because he doesn't really have a change-up that he can throw against them, unfortunately. So it'll be interesting to see if he can take a step forward this year. I don't even know if he's actually scheduled to be uh, in the starting rotation I think he's SP five right now for them, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe like the sixth man. He's he's really interesting because a, a lot of he these guys SP5. he is SP five. Yes, a, a lot of these pitchers, when we see them on leaderboards where we don't expect them, will then 
pull up their player page and we'll see like a lot of red because you know if they wind up on these leaderboards it's probably because they were pretty good yeah falter gives up a lot of hard contact he does doesn't get many swings and misses so it's it's really interesting that he's still wound up doing well on on weighted earned strikes i think he's got he's doing something right yeah a lot of it was called strikes i think for him um and if i remember a lot of his stuff isn't very spin efficient or sorry not not that it's spin efficient but it doesn't have a lot of spin like his slider if i remember right yeah like his slider spin rate is only like it's sub 2000 which is not that fast Mm -hmm. you'll see guys throwing sliders with like 2600 rpms um so he he throws a sinker and a curveball which are both high called strike pitches yes so and you're you're absolutely right like that that sinker has a 27 percent called strike rate yeah that's so high yeah it's not hard to infer Leave. that if the swing and strike rate overall isn't high you can figure that they're probably getting a lot of earn, or a lot of uh, called strikes based on the weighted earned strike rate or just regular old csw but yeah it yeah, is fun, fun thing about bailey falter's sinker does really well with called strikes and swinging strikes, which is you don't usually see both out of the same sinker. Yeah. Doesn't get a lot of O swings on it. That's not really what it's meant for, though. He throws it in the zone like 60% of the time, which is so high. Um, and, and yet, good results. Yeah, good results. I mean, he does. I mean, he did give up a 278 well, average. Except which when isn't it gets great. hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, a 278 average, not great. Uh, expected Sinkers. average. Yeah, expected average even higher than that. Um, and that's the thing, too. He's got a sit like his sinker is pretty decent. 37.2% CSW, but also only a 31.7% ground ball rate. Like he is very, very, very much a fly ball pitcher. He does not like like he he's trying to throw the uh he's trying to throw it on the inside corner. Like he's trying to like jam the hitters with his sinker and he doesn't always get it. You can see on the heat map, he tends to lean to the the arm side with that, so inside on left-handed hitters. Um, but, yeah, it'll be inter- interesting to see how he can uh, kind of warp his usage maybe this year. I'd be, I be I wouldn't be surprised if he starts throwing that four-seamer a lot less and leaning into the sinker a bit more, um, and then upping the usage maybe a bit of that slider and curveball, potentially. Probably more so the slider, I would think. But... Yeah, and the changeup that he has is, I mean, it's, he's thrown it like 4% and 5% of the time in the past couple of years. It's not a, a good pitch. It's got, it had a 16% CSW last year with a batting so, average against a 533. So for the folks at home, for Bailey Falter, how are, how are you treating him? You're, you're leaving him where he is on the waiver wire. Yes. And then if you see, if you see a couple of strong... Uh, like weighted earned strike starts from him early in the year, you're going to move to grab him? It's it's a combination of that, plus I'm going to see how if and how he adjusts his usage of his arsenal. Like if there's very clear changes that are being made by Bailey Falter to maybe employ that slider a bit more, then like if he bumps up to like 20 to 25% usage in that first like four-ish starts, then I'm going to be curious and maybe take a flyer on him like if it's a good stream coming up or just if I have enough bench sp- spots. To stash him, then I will, um, and that's kind of how I'm be- it's it's him and JT Brubaker both like that, as opposed to Braxton Garrett, who I'm probably going to draft and hang on to in hopes that he finds a steady starting job uh, with trades happening. Love it, but yeah. All right, and then we're gonna go to so you've done six pitchers so far, so we got four more to cover here. Uh, 
we've got a former Met and a current Met uh, to start off this last set of four. Uh, and I, I love that you have a type, which is basically just like cromulent Mets pitchers. I like I look I I love all Mets pitchers. It just so happens the cromulent ones are the uh, the ones in the 250 plus range. Love Mets, love cromulents, baby. Let's go. All right, so let's start. Love with the Mets, baby. Love the Mets. All about the Mets. All about the Mets. Uh, let's start with Stephen Matz then. Stephen Matz is be well, was being drafted at 350 the first time I looked. Where is he now? Uh, 335. He's moved up a little bit uh, later as we've gone later into draft season. So the one thing that really caught my eye with Stephen Matz. Yeah, other than his atrocious ERA, was I, I was looking at a leaderboard for strikeout rate minus walk rate. And by the way, I'm going to try to get through these last four uh, a little bit quicker since we're uh, in in typical in the deep tradition. We are running a little bit long. We're at 51 minutes. We're fine. That's not too bad. Oh, fine. I'll take my time. Please don't. <laughs> for, for the love of God, please don't. I came into this episode exhausted. And I got my podcast second wind. I'm good for another hour. We can we can keep going. We're, we're just going to do another podcast. I hope everyone's okay with that. <laughs> but all right, Stephen Matt. So I was looking at a leaderboard for strikeout rate minus walk rate, which is one of those quick and dirty metrics that is really indicative of who is a good pitcher and who isn't. Like just, you know, to, to point out some of the names in the top 10, Jacob deGrom, Spencer Strider, Shohei Otani, Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, you know, really good pitchers. Steven Matz is 16th on this list. That's weird. That's so weird. So weird. It's, and it, having watched him a lot when he was a Met, I'm not surprised that he still managed to be bad in spite of this because he loves the blow-up inning. He, he loves to give up the long ball. But being on the Cardinals as a sinker ball pitcher in a home run deprived environment that we're currently in with these strikeout and walk numbers there's something there there's potential for something there i god i can't believe i'm saying this but i'm actually going to target matt's late in drafts this Oof. year 347 i mean that's that yeah that's pretty deep okay yeah he he, he struck out 27.4 percent of his batters last year like it the stuff was legit the stuff has always been legit it's just you know he he was among the league leaders actually uh brian bayo was on this list too he was among the league leaders in the difference between his era and his fip like the the inputs are there but the outputs stink we're we're hoping that the uh the the two can align so yeah i'm I'm actually kind of kind of in on mats this year again i dig it i mean yeah okay K minus base and ball is still like one of like the easiest and most effective ways, I think, to kind of just like take a quick snapshot of pitcher performance over a season, right? Like it's very easy. Like if you don't give up a lot of walks and you strike a bunch of people out, probably good. Yes. Probably good. Quick, um, dirty, effective. Yes. Uh all right. So then let's talk about Carlos Carrasco next then. This one doesn't require much talking. Uh you know, like Carlos Carrasco's been around forever. We know what he is. He you know, he he is who we thought he was. He's a cherry bomb, as Nick likes to say. He's going to get absolutely lit up a couple of times, but in roto leagues, he's going to be worth it in the end. In head-to-head matchups, most of the time he's going to help you. And that's pretty much how he's always been. Maybe he's a little bit worse than he used to be on balance, but he's still going to give you plenty of good quality starts over the course of the year. 
maybe not a literal quality start, but you know, quality starts. Uh, if you're okay with the indigestion of the occasional five plus earned run game, you're generally going to profit over the long haul. <laughs> it's unfortunate that he's in uh, uh, like he's even unpredictable for a cherry bomb because he had great starts at Colorado last year. He had a great start against Atlanta's great offense, but then you know he got lit up by Seattle and he got lit up by Miami at different points last year. Not great offenses, so he's unpredictable. But you know he's good. He's cookie. He's fine. He's he's a hill. You you can't go wrong with this pick. You know you you can take this pick and know generally what the season line is going to be at the end of the year. It's going to be like a three five to three seven five ERA, plenty of strikeouts. Yeah, he's he's good. He's he's cookie. He's good. Love it. Yeah, I mean, boring but solid over the course of a full of a full season. He's like, he's so not boring, but the end result is boring. He's the yes, yeah, okay, that that's a fair way to put it. Uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to think who I'd want in, like between Mats and Carrasco now. I feel like I uh, want for, Mats more. Up, because upside, I want Mats. I, I feel like the defense behind him, the K rate that he showed last year, plus better park so upside i want mats okay. if, if i but if i'm trying to go for a safer pick I, i'd go carrasco at that point okay cool all right uh now you're going to talk about someone that i i was pretty fond of last year uh and talked up a bit uh russ stripling yeah how far we've come because i remember the first time you talked about russ stripling last year i was like <laughs> uh, okay stripling. dude whatever. <laughs> okay <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm going to steal your bit. Talk about Ross Stripling. I'm kind of psyched to see what San Francisco can do with him. Because Ross Stripling has really leaned into his change-up focused Blake Snell blueprint approach, which is fastballs up, change-ups down, breaking stuff down in general. The change-up is so good. It's it only so allows a, it's a, it allows 21% hard contact, and it gets a 21.7% swinging strike rate. The league average is like 13%. So it's just so much better than a league average changeup. And throwing the changeup more, which he, he has started doing, lets the fastball play up more because, you know, you can't sit on one or the other. Mm-hmm. And as long as he's locating the fastball well, which he generally does, he should continue to be fine. Uh, he's was at 324 the first time I looked. Uh, now he's at, you know, you know, Braxton Garrett's actually at 358 now. Totally unrelated. Oh, so other that, cha- that, so, that changes so, things. So others are on him. It's I mean yeah. I'm still going to draft him probably there or higher. But and strip stripling is actually at 305 now, so he's moved up since he signed with San Francisco, which which makes sense. Yeah, not not a meteoric rise by any means. Not 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 uh, Braxton Garrett rise, but yeah, that's still like around earlier. Yeah, so I mean I'm I'm into this. I generally like what San Francisco does with their pitchers. Not not quite to the extent that uh I like the guy the teams I mentioned earlier like your Cleveland's and your uh, Dodgers, but yeah I, I still think that they have a, a strong coaching staff over there and can do good things with their pitchers. Looking at you like Jacob Junis and Alex Wood and whatnot. Junis also like surprisingly high up. He was someone that I thought about talking about for uh for the waiter and strike rate thing too because he was like surprisingly high up on the list as well. He's so weird. Well, it's like, I mean, they I have, just, I feel like, like uh, the parallel that I have, I mean, obviously the velocity is nowhere near the same between these two, 
but uh um i kind of see like ross stripling as like an alex cobb with less velo yeah with the with a change up instead of a split change yeah so cobb is more sinker focused whereas stripling is more four seam focused yeah correct but it's mostly just like that, like those main two. I mean, I do see like, because I, I believe Stripling's is a split change. Is it? I think it is. Oh, God. Am I wrong? Well, well now it, doesn't have the co- myself. it doesn't have the cool nickname that Alex Cobbs does. What is, what is his called? The Thing. The Thing. There you go. It's real good. But yeah, we we like Ross Stripling here on In the Deep. Is we the don't point. okay. Time out. We need to we need to get this updated immediately. There is no GIF of Alex Cobb's splitter on his player page. You heard it, folks. Riot. Please please email uh, Nicholas Peter Pollock at Pitcherlist. Storm the Pitcherlist headquarters. Oh no! Don't do that. Nick's apartment can't handle that. <laughs> Uh, but yes, I, 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 we do need one of those on the site immediately just so I can watch, uh, and have easy access to an Alex, Alex Cobb splitter gif. But, uh, I kind of view them in a similar light, I guess, just like repertoire wise. Cause I mean, they are basically like two pitch pitchers and they have like a third. Well, I guess last year, no, cause last year Ross Stripling did have, I mean, he threw his change up 27% of the time and then he had the slider that was thrown 22% of the time as well. Was it good? Not really. But it did a great job at suppressing uh, contact and gave it like a 212 average. Pretty awesome. The curveball, on the other hand, was not good. He should not throw his curveball. <laughs> uh, you know what's, what's, a, what's a fun combo? Stripling, has, Stripling gives up a lot of hard contact, but has a really good XERA. Yeah. Us- usually those things correlate. It just, you know, I, I don't know this for a fact, but it seems to me that those usually correlate. And it, it's weird to see uh, such high hard contact with a with a really good expected ERA and expected woba. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I'm not smart enough to figure out what kind of math goes into that specifically. But like I'm looking at like the change up in the slider, they both have pretty high like a, like a well above league average. Or no, the ground ball rate for the change up is about league average. Uh the slider though, his slider had a 55.8% ground ball rate and the league average was 41.9. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I mean, I'm assuming hard hit balls on the ground is what is what got us here. Yeah, that's that's mostly what I'm thinking of as well. But, anyways, all right, we got one more pitcher for you to talk about here. Uh, going back to the well with the Phillies once again. Uh, after I, I went am, to after I went to um, Bailey Falter earlier. I uh, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know this is a player that I I hold near and dear to my heart, in spite of the uh, laundry he wears. It's uh, Ranger Suarez. I, I, this is going back to when he, I was begging for him to be a closer, and he was a good closer, and then they were like, you know what, he's going to be an ace instead, and he was just a really good starting pitcher in uh, 2021. I was expecting good things in tw- 2022, definitely some regression, and then Ranger Suarez went out and walked more batters, struck out fewer batters, gave up more home runs, and just generally regressed all around. Still fine. Not, uh, qu- not quite as good as I was hoping for, though. But I'm still in on him because I don't think that early season Ranger Suarez is what we can expect going forward. He kind of lost his change up in the early part of the season and had like nearly a five ERA in the in his first handful of starts. But then he found his change up 
and went on a roll to the point where in the postseason, the Phillies were kind of going to him like, what would you say? It was like Wheeler and then Nola and then Suarez. And they were going to Suarez like whenever they could. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he pitched more than like Noah Syndergaard did. And Syndergaard was a player that they picked up like just for their playoff run. Uh, they trust Suarez. I trust Suarez. I think at the end of the day, he's a three, five ERA arm, but he doesn't strike out too many guys. So good or bad luck can swing him into the low threes or the high threes. I'm going to bet on my boy because the price is reasonable again. It was not reasonable last year, so I, I'm hoping to get some shares of Suarez this year now that he's got a, an, an ADP that I can actually stomach. stomach. Yeah. Not jinx. He's at 382 right now, which is, you know, that's that's perfectly fine. Lo- love, love to grab Ranger Suarez to round out a staff. I even did as much in the pitcherless mock draft at the beginning of the offseason. Wait, what is his ADP now? 382 oh, sorry wow. 282 282 I was, I was did say, i say did i say three yeah you said 382 i was like oh my god he took it like a huge drop like that's not that's not in the business ticks. of being right folks not in, the, <laughs> not in the business of being right just in the business of being sleepy uh speaking of which that's gonna be the end of this week's episode in the deep oh, oh wait sorry no, no you have you have no, oh dang no. it no hey don't you cut me off i'm gonna i'm just gonna start snoring uh there, there are a couple of really quick hits here, like actual quick hits. I did not write any notes for these. Uh, the, there are two players in this range who I like a lot, but do not have defined roles. So this is depending on your league type and depending on you know how, how much you can stomach the risk of a player not having a role. Uh, Hunter Brown. Look, if, if I knew that Hunter Brown was going to have a role on opening day, he would be like second on my list maybe maybe third um these pitchers that i talked about today were vaguely in the order that i i like them in i love hunter brown i love his stuff and i love houston's development they're they're pitching they're coaching so yeah if you if you have faith that hunter brown like like if you think jose or is gonna get hurt draft hunter brown just do it i i think i think he's you know a, a great fantasy pitcher in the making and Hayden Wesneski is really interesting. But as soon as the Cubs signed Drew Smiley, who I also really like, just not quite enough to make this list, uh, Hayden Wesneski kind of lost his uh, potential rotation spot. Mm-hmm. So draft Drew Smiley in general if, you're, uh, if your league is that deep. And uh, you know if, if you have confidence in uh, Wesneski eventually claiming a role, he's, you know, this, this stuff is fantastic. The slider, he's another one of those incredible slider pitchers. And then to round things out, Boston signed Corey Kluber, who I know you like. I really wanted him to sign with the Cardinals. So that bad. would have been fun. I, th- I think that literally would have been the ideal outcome for him just between like the off or the defense he would have had behind him and the park factors would have been amazing. Unfortunately, <sighs> Boston will just be leaving the field empty at, at the uh, shortstop spot, I think. They're trying uh, allegedly to get Hasan Kim, but the price is a little bit too steep. I think. Yeah, uh, Kluber is is another one of the like cromulent veterans. He's he's fine, uh, but I I do like him. He's he's at like he was at four fifty. Has he moved up since the news of his signing? Is the question. 
Kaluber. Uh, he's at 433 since he signed. So, yeah, he hasn't moved up too much. I will say Kluber sandwiched right between Christian Javier and Luis Garcia in weighted earned strike rate at 36th. And he's around guys like Kyle Muller, uh, Matthew Boyd, Cole Irvin. I would much rather have Kluber than those guys. Yeah, 100%. Also, Kluber just like, I mean, what, his walk rate was ex- like absurdly low last year, wasn't it? Yeah, and he, he actually threw a ton of innings. Like he was he had the second, just behind Shane McClanahan. Yeah. We talked about this on a previous episode that he was so close. It's so weird. I love talking about yeah. it. So cool. But yeah, I like Kluber a lot of that ADP personally. But um, right. now, now, Jordan, you can send us off. Dad, can we go? Dad, can we go home? Anyways, thank you so much for no, joining. No, I want to talk about Ryan Nelson. No, I want to talk about Spencer Turnbull. I actually would like to talk about Spencer Turnbull. I also kind of want to talk about Spencer Turnbull. <laughs> we'll save that for another that's, that's episode. For, that's for later. That's for another another episode. All right. That's going to be it for this week's episode of In the Deep. We appreciate you all taking the time to listen once again. Thank you so much. Uh, if you want to follow us on our social media pages, you can follow our, our individual pages. You can follow Schwebzy at Schwebzy. That's S-H-W-E-B-S-I. Or myself at Bunt Singles on Twitter. You can also follow our shared Twitter show page. That is at In the DPL. Uh, if you want to send us mailbag questions, because I've forgotten to pump this out forever, it, it's still our pinned tweet on our Twitter account in the DPL. So go there if you want to send in any mailbag questions. We'll answer those hopefully throughout the off season. Uh, and with that, we'll see you in two weeks for another episode. Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends. Hang on, I'm sorry. Did I high friends? Oh no, I'm start starting it over. No, we can't do it. It's too late. Start, no, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm, 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 I'm railroading this thing. I'm railroading nope, it. Nope, nope. We're, we're already done. It's over. I'm just gonna interrupt. I'm gonna interrupt and cow you until we restart this thing. No, we can't do it. We can't do it. It's so late already. No. Uh, not do it. Not doing it again. Schwepsy, no.